This is RV on Business. Welcome to Nuva Hadas. Welcome to Fire FM. Thanks. Thanks, RV. Thanks for having me here. Great. I love it when we have an IT guy on the show, then we get with IT all messed up. To jump straight into it, before I say anything else, I just want to read a line or a paragraph from your press release that says, Digital first processes not only eradicate the problem and challenges we had before, they eradicate the ineffective solutions we had come up with for these, for those problems, making the teams more productive and focused on the actual work. So you say, personally, couldn't agree with you more. Please just flesh it out a little bit more as to what that means practically and also who you guys are and how you positioned in the marketplace. Cool. So, so let me start with kind of a bit more background and then we can kind of get into that specific solution. Cause I think you've hit on to a key element that we're seeing. And, and I'll, I'll get to this later on, but fundamentally what it is, we approach problems from the environment that we understand them in today. So if you look at Amazon, for example, in 1996, and you had looked at it as a bookshop, people would have said, it's a terrible bookshop. I mean, Amazon, you can't go, you can't browse the books, you can't smell the books, you can't ask the nerdy guy behind the counter for like what his favorite science fiction book, you know, it's terrible. Like what, who would want to do this thing? But if you actually judged it on the basis of, and that's, and that's judging, by the way, on the basis of experience or the experience that you've had from a bookshop. If you change your mind and said, well, hold on a second, is it more effective at selling books? Right? Does it sell more books? Which is what a bookshop is there for. It is there to help me find the book I want to buy and buy that book. The answer would be undoubtedly yes. Amazon is a much better and much more effective book buying experience than the bookshop experience, which is built, you know, based on limitations of things we had. And in truth, the geeky guy behind the counter's science fiction recommendation isn't as good as 10,000 people's science fiction recommendation. So, so, so what that really speaks to that, that line is the fact that we are often limited in the way we look at solutions today based on what we've experienced up to now. And our current construct actually limits our ability to see the future or to see how we could implement solutions which are future focused. That's, that's really what it speaks to. And, and the way that ties back into DYDX, DYDX, the name actually comes from calculus. It's the formula for the rate of change. Change in Y over change in X, delta Y, delta X. It's fairly nerdy. But basically what the whole business is about is we help companies with digital transformation, which is the process of going from where they are today to where this digital future that people speak about and and are so excited about can lead them to. And we focus on three things. The first one is new products and services. So how could they develop something that is future focus that has new revenue opportunities or new service opportunities for their customers and helps them gain market share or you know, additional profitability in the future. The second one is very internally focused. It's exactly the same skill sets, but says, well, how does a digital transformation kind of impact me as a company? Um, so again, for example, people that we work with, there are people like Vodacom. Uh, so, so it's fairly large companies, but it could also work for small companies where you're looking at your processes and saying, if I change how I work, and I utilize technology more efficiently and more effectively, how do I therefore change my profitability, my ability to please customers, my ability to, to make my staff more, you know, kind of happier in what they do. And the final one is really looking at the sales funnel and digitizing their sales funnels. How do they optimize that flow from a lead to a converted customer and automate marketing and those things? And the interesting thing that all these three have in common is actually not IT. 
at the core of our business, I may be an IT kind of guy, but we're not really an IT business. We're actually a human-centered design business. So the core of it is really about understanding people. If you can understand people, you can actually solve a lot of problems in very different ways, which don't require very complicated IT. And often the mistake we've seen people do, I mean, digital transformation is interesting because so many of these projects fail. You know, it's literally, I think, something like a 17% success rate, according to McKinsey, for digital transformation projects. But the thing that makes most projects that are successful, successful, that common thread of success is when they actually focus on the culture and the people first and the technology second. And that for us is a, is a concept, is like the key thing. How do you help people understand the problem, reframe it, take it from a different perspective, and then it's easier to solve solve the challenges that you have? So really, technology is the tool that bolts onto the side of the human interaction. 100%. So, so technology is, yeah, go for it. Yeah, sorry, Abby. I mean, okay. So without fetching it out too much, I just wish we could sort of, it was TV and I could show the chart that you so beautifully sent out where it's showing the rate of change for different size companies, et cetera, et cetera. I think what a lot of people are sitting, sitting at the end of the chairs now waiting for us to discuss is how has COVID-19 and the whole shutdown affected business going on? Because my experience is sort of threefold just to flesh it out a little bit. Number one, there are those that don't even know that there's a COVID-19 epidemic going on. Sort of laughs gone on, thinks, yeah, they've changed a bit, they've adjusted, and they're wearing masks. But life goes on, businesses go on, and it's great. Then you've got the other extreme where you've got the guy who woke up on that Friday morning with zero income, zero potential, business shut, debt, overheads that had to be paid. And then you've got the guys in the middle or sort of hustling their, their way through it, but the common thread amongst all three of those people is that there needs to be a way forward and there definitely has been changed. Um, in your experience, what size companies have adapted the easiest to this change? So I think it's been less of a size of company versus an industry of company that has adapted. So I think anything consumer-facing like the restaurants and Airbnbs and hospitality we know have have, have had you know, had to shutter and massive kind of issues, no matter the size of the business, right? And we've had clients from Soho Sun down to kind of, you know, much smaller kind of manufacturing businesses that have all been impacted by that. So, so I think that's been the primary indicator of, of impact. The second factor really speaks to resilience and how well they've adapted to things. And we've seen everyone adapt really well. We've actually done an online assessment. And I think we've had about 500 different people take this assessment now, companies, and actually teams of companies take the assessment, which is really interesting to see how a team kind of evaluates each other in these assessments. And what we've seen is that most people are actually coping with the changes. The people that are working that these businesses have carried on are actually kind of coping in many respects. But there's a lot of issues with how effectively they're working. And a lot of issues which we can see coming down the line that there will be in burnout and people not understanding how to separate their work-life environments and those kind of things. So, so kind of to, to look at your question and say which, you know, is, is the behavior, has COVID made a big change in these businesses? It, it definitely has in the sense that it's accelerated a lot of change that we wouldn't have had to face otherwise or we would have faced otherwise over a longer period of time. 
if you think about you know, you know kind of home and the effectiveness of companies being able to work together, um, that's been moving forward in a in a slow and steady rate for quite a while. Um, from laptops to data, you know, enable people to take kind of work home from them. Neva Adas, so welcome back to Fire FM. Um, we've got literally three or four minutes to to end off. And one thing that I found fascinating is the discussion as to how what people were trying to do before they are doing now, and it's here to stay. I can see that you're very comfortable, I think, sitting in your lounge, wherever you are. Are you working mainly from home, or have you got an office that's up and running? So, so we, I mean, we, we, we actually have been a, a remote first company for about five years. So we've wow. got teams in Cape Town, Joburg, uh, London, Netherlands, uh, recently just added people in Zurich. So we've been working this way for a long time. Again, it, it, it's one of those things of when you work differently, you work in a digital first environment, you get the ideas and you understand the context a lot more clearly. And, and so, so yeah, so we're very familiar with this as a process. And the interesting thing, I think, for, for most companies going through, through this experience, as you said, it, that it is here to stay. The current phase we're going through that everyone is in lockdown and at their homes and at their desk for such extended periods of time won't last. What will start happening is you'll get more what they call hybrid or distributed teams where some people will be at the office and some people will choose to be at home. People will be at home for longer or, you know, it, it will start getting really mixed up. And what we find then in those environments is when really the management challenge and how do you deal and how do you grow and engage these teams really changes dramatically and shifts for a lot of businesses, whether they're small or big, as they need to start thinking through the next stages of evolution of uh, remote working. You made such a fascinating point. You made such a fascinating point about management because that's something that I've found that I've never really had to do before because everybody was here. You walked in, you physically saw people. You know, you might look over the shoulder, look at their monitors, see what they're doing, but things are happening. All the noises, all the actions are there and, yeah, it comes out the other end and so everything's sort of fine and you might just call in, please just step in your moment, what you're up to, where you're with this. But now when you call and you speak to a person and you hear kids yelling in the background or, or you hear sounds that aren't really office space and you get told, oh, I'm just receiving delivery of this or just getting that, then as management, you almost need to have broad shoulders and appreciate that it's not business as usual. There are other distractions and one is to allow for them and roll with the punches, but at the same time, keep the reins tight, but not strangling so that the work does get done. Have I sort of summed it up uh, efficiently? I think you have, but I think it's also an interesting industrial age concept of management. We manage by place. We manage by place and time. What you find happens very quickly as you get more into this remote working and distributed teams approach is you manage more by output. And you get less, like, you know, like with our team, I don't know what people do every day. It doesn't make a difference. I'm sure they do yoga in the afternoons. I'm sure they like doing stuff with their kids. And it's great. Why? Because as long as the job is done, as the job is high quality, right, that's all we care about. That's really the key output that you have. And what you find that occurs as these companies migrate, and there are lots of leading global companies with thousands of employees that are remote and all working remotely, um, which which have consistently shown higher effectiveness measures than traditional companies, you know, ones that are office-bound or geographically bound, what you start realizing is that you've got a lot of 
advantages. I mean, most of it, if it's output-based, you can have more flexi-time workers. No one needs to work five days a week. You could, they could choose to work three days a week or four days a week or eight days, you know, like however long they want to work. It's okay as long as they're getting their output done. And sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down. You find that that changes your employment contracts, right? Something that hasn't hit lots of big companies here yet or hasn't really hit South Africa. But your employment agreements are going to change because all the employment agreements are you'll be here at nine, you'll leave at five, or you'll be here at eight and you'll leave at five. And everything is built around your attendance. Now when you move to output based, very little is about attendance. You know, you could be attending for three hours a day and be, you know, outworking somebody that is there for 10 hours because, you know, it's output based. So you get all these kind of shifts, which are big cultural and social shifts, which companies really need to grapple with. And most importantly, managers need to grapple with because the tools that used to work before, everyone's around, you can see them, you can say, hey, what's happening with this project? Those don't exist anymore. So now how do you replace those? How do you kind of restructure your time to do that and and not over-communicate because the, the, the first mistake lots of people make, or the first thing they do is they want to over-communicate. They do daily check-ins and stand-ups and all those kind of things. Not remembering the stand-ups we did when, when Agile started. The stand-ups come from Agile, which is a development methodology. When Agile started, they did stand-ups to make everyone uncomfortable so they'd get out of that meeting really quickly. It was a standing room only meeting. That's why it was called a stand-up. You're not allowed to sit down. Um, but now we're all sitting down in our computers and and so, so I think there's there's a lot of maturity that needs to occur and transformation that needs to occur with how companies approach the way they do work, not just, you know, the environment and, and like you said, the bigger digital transformation, the internal cultural transformation that occurs when you put into this position, because that really helps your business move forward to the next level. So to go from office-bound okay. to remote mindset. We could talk for the next half an hour, but as you saw, we need to wrap it up. Um, Neva, just two things. Number one, how do people get hold of you? Um, if they want to get hold of me, the easiest way is they can actually just email me, nevo, N-E-V-O, at digital, or they can go to our website and get hold of us through that, and that is just digital. And then a lot of people are asking me on the side, what is what size company do you deal with? Do you deal with a one-man company or is it only with the larger corporates? We deal mostly with mid-sized companies and some larger corporates, very rarely with smaller companies. It's just hard for us to, to engage in the fact and really help them. So mostly mid-sized companies, companies that probably turning over anything from 20 to 30 million up, uh, we can start working with and helping them out of it. Fantastic. Well, everything of the best to you, and uh, I hope all goes well. Never had us cut or partner at DYDX. Thank you so much. Thanks, Abby.